Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Well, good morning and happy new year. Did you catch that? Let's, let's rewind. Let's do that again. Good morning and happy new year. That's right. Goodbye 2020 and hello 2021. We've been talking about you for a long time. We've been waiting for you for a long time, and we are so glad that you are here. Happy New Year to everybody. My name is Mike Lucia, for those that don't know me, and I am so glad to be here today to share what I feel is a very important message. But before we get into that, two quick housekeeping items. Number one, thank you to Tyler, Rachel, and the entire staff for everything that you guys continue to do here for all of us at Mission Church. And a special shout out today to my man, Shane. It's just me and Shane in the studio today holding it down. Shane, I appreciate you, buddy. And number two, right out of the gates, we're gonna go deep. I'm gonna ask you for some honesty, for some truth, and a little bit of participation. It's January 3rd. How many of you still got your Christmas decorations up? Come on, it's time to fess up and put it into the chat right now. If you got your Christmas decorations still up, let us know. And I also want to know, what's the rule of thumb? When are the decorations supposed to go up, and when are they supposed to come down? Are you a strict December 26th person, January 1st? Or maybe we got a couple people out there that say, look, I'm all about efficiency. I put the lights up, and I never take them down. (laughs) They're up all year round. Look, I, I respect that. I don't think I could get away with it, but I respect it. Joking aside, I know 2020 may have been one of the most difficult years of your life. I know that the holidays were probably different for all of us. I hope you still found a way to have joy and celebrate during the holidays. But right now, I want to take a moment, and I want to recognize and celebrate you. That's right. Because while 2020 may have been one of the hardest years of your life, you're still standing, you're still plugged in. If you're listening to this, you're still tuned in to church. Your faith may have been tested, but you didn't break. And I hope you can carry some of that momentum into 2021. Well, look, before we get started with the message, I want to start with a quick story. Speaking of 2020, I was just having a 2020 day. I don't remember exactly why. It could have been because, I don't know, I hadn't left the house in three days, hadn't been outside in three days. You know what I'm talking about. All I know is I went to throw something away. I opened up the garbage, I looked down, and I saw this. It's a post-it note with my seven-year-old's handwriting on it. I did a double take, I picked it up, I read it, and it shook me. And I want you to read it with me. It says, in the beginning, there were no flowers, no animals, or people. There was only darkness, but God was there. I love how God's timing is perfect, 100% of the time. It's perfect all the time. God knows exactly where we're at. He knows exactly what we need. And he knows exactly how to get it to us. See, that's all I needed in that moment was a reminder that he was there with me. And I want to extend that same encouragement and that same reminder to you today. That regardless of how dark some moments may have been in 2020, that you were never alone, that God was right there with you. 
And if you read the rest of that note, it went on to say that one of the first things that God did was he brought light into the darkness. And then he said it was good. And so as we go into 2021, we know that it won't be perfect. We know that there will be challenges. And we need to remember that regardless of what happens, God will always bring light to our situation and that we can always count on the fact that he is good. Let's pray on that and then we'll jump into the message. Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us through 2020. We thank you for being there every step of the way. We thank you for bringing light, regardless of how dark any situation may be. God, we thank you for the fresh start in 2021. I ask that you would bless this new year. I ask that you would bless your people. I ask that you would bless your church and bless this country. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. All right, for those taking notes, the title of the message today is Born to Lead, Born to Lead. And this is a right now message. This is for 2021, this is for this year. I believe that God has big plans for this year. I believe he's got big plans for you. I believe he's got big plans for the church. And I believe he's got big plans for this country. I'm also believing that part of those big plans are going to depend on me and you. Not because God is dependent on us. He can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. And yet through the course of history, it's in his character we see that he chooses to partner with his people. Oh, those that have a soft heart towards God. Those that are obedient to his call. Those that just have an all-out passion and love for the Lord. He loves to partner with us so often to bring about his will. And therefore, I'm also believing that God is going to be raising up a new generation of leaders this year. And not just any leaders, I believe he's raising up a new generation of godly leaders in 2021. Now let me clarify, this isn't just a message for those that are managers or have people reporting to them or are in the business world. This is for everybody who believes in Jesus Everybody who clarifies or calls themselves a Christian, we all have an obligation and a responsibility to lead and to lead in a godly way. But let's be clear, it doesn't require a microphone or a platform or 10,000 Instagram followers. All we're going to talk about today is just winning your one-on-one -on -one matchups, taking care of home court advantage, just making sure that you lead in every facet of your everyday life. And as I was thinking about godly leadership, I thought, who better to look at than King David? Because David is known as one of the greatest leaders of all time. There's so much that we can learn from David, but I focused on one story, and that's the story of David taking the census. For those that don't know the story, I'm going to give you the summary, the Cliff Notes version right now. David was the king of Israel. And under David's reign, Israel flourished. Sure, they had some low points, but for the most part, Israel did well. They had a lot of power. The military was huge. They had won a number of battles. They were wealthy. They had a lot of influence globally. And one day, King David found himself in the middle of some temptation. It was a temptation to take the census. And unfortunately, he made the choice. He took the census, and God deemed that as sinful. 
And I want to explain that it wasn't just the mere act of taking the census that God was not pleased with. It was the motive. It was the heart behind taking the census that God did not like. You see, David wanted a number. David knew that his military and his power was large, but he wanted to quantify that. He wanted to know just how big and just how mighty and just how powerful instead of relying on how big and how mighty and how powerful God was. So unfortunately, there was consequence and judgment. And part of it was there was a plague that struck the Israelites. It cost 70,000 people their lives. But what's so interesting about this is that David was focused on a number. And so God said, David, you've put up barriers in between me and you, and I'm going to reduce your numbers. And sometimes God goes right after the essence of our sin, whether we put up walls intentionally or unintentionally, God and his goodness, whether it feels good and whether we can see it, he never stops pursuing us. And then David gets a word from a prophet. It's directions from God. And it says, you need to go seek out the threshing floor. You need to build an altar. You need to sacrifice and restore the kingdom. And David doesn't wait until he's reached some stage of perfect holiness No, David sets out to do what God has asked him to do and reestablish the kingdom of Israel. So let's look at a couple key verses for some things that we can put in our pocket as we head into 2021 about how to lead a godly life like David. Now we're going to look at this story and cross-reference it. It's in two books. You can find it in 2 Samuel chapter 24 and 1 Chronicles chapter 21. Let's take a look at verse one from both books. There's some interesting differences to point out that we can learn from. Second Samuel chapter 20, verse 24, verse one says this. Again, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel and he moved David against them. Now let's look at first Chronicles chapter 21, verse one. It says, now Satan stood up against Israel and moved David. And one of the first questions I asked myself was, so who is it? Who's to blame here for David's fall, for David's sin of taking the census? In one verse, it says that it was God. In the other verse, it says that it was Satan. So who is it? And I landed at, you know, all three parties were probably involved here in David's fall. You had Satan doing what he does and throwing temptation our way. David had free will, just like we all do. And unfortunately, he just made a bad choice. And then God's in the mix as well, and God allowed all of it to happen. And I want to pause right there. 2020 was a year of hardship. And isn't it so interesting that when we have times of hardship, we start asking hard questions. I don't know about you, but I had a lot of questions in 2020. Went a little something like this. God, why is this happening? God, did you cause this to happen? If you're not the cause... Why are you allowing it to happen? Because at the snap of your fingers, we know that you could stop all of it. And sometimes we just have to chalk it up to the fact that, you know what, we're living in a broken world and we're not going to always get answers. And that can be frustrating. That can be hard. And maybe one day in heaven, we'll be able to see and be able to connect the dots. But for now, we're just left with some, some gaps. And it leaves us with a wanting to understand more. And I think in this case, while we may not always get answers to everything in our life, we can look back at the scripture, this first verse, and we can get more context into what's happening in this story with David. 
So let's go back and look. In verse 1, remember it said, The anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. We stop right there. I'm going to paraphrase, and therefore he moved David. Look what it said in the other verse. Satan stood up against Israel. Pause there. I'm going to paraphrase, and therefore he moved David. It's so interesting that while David is the focal point of the story, he was not the ultimate target. David was the initial target, but it so clearly says here that the enemy had bigger plans. That the kingdom of Israel, the nation of Israel was the enemy's plan. David just happened to be the immediate target because he had influence. Be aware that you have influence. You will be a target and so it requires godly leadership. Now I'm going to ask you to buckle up because I'm going to make a parallel and draw a connection between this story right here of what's happening with David taking the census and to what's happening in our country right now. You see, Satan knew that the way to destroy Israel was simply to remove the presence of God. And if he could get to David and destroy David's faith because of his influence, the rest of the country would follow. It's so obvious. Look at the highs and the lows of Israel's history. The lows are marked by a lack of faith and disobedience, and therefore the hand of God would be lifted from the kingdom. And the exact opposite can be said for the highs. Oh, the high points of Israel were marked by strong faith, obedience, and therefore the favor of God. His hand, his protection, his blessing, the favor of God would be over Israel, which led to their dominance. Do you see what's happening? It's the same play. The enemy runs the same play over and over and over again for thousands of years. And he's running the same play today. Satan is, ta is targeting America. We happen to be the most powerful, wealthy, influential nation in the world. It's not even disputed. Go look at, we have the highest GDP. We have the strongest military. We have some of the most smartest, brightest people in the entire world. And that does not happen by accident. That happens because the breath of God has been over our country since its inception. The foundation of America was based on God, people that had faith and believed. And therefore, we've been benefiting from the favor of God and the blessing of God from the very beginning. But the enemy knows. The enemy knows that if he can simply remove the presence of God from our foundation, that the hand of God, that we will be no better off than the low points of ancient Israel. And I want to draw you to some current events. There was a document that was published on November 30th. It's a 28-page document, and it's written in the form of a letter. And this letter is written directly to the new administration. This letter is not just written by some random people at a coffee shop with some random opinions. This letter is written by a handful of congressmen. These are lawmakers. These are people with power and control. And this letter, I'm not going to read you 28 pages, but I am going to summarize some of it because it's important to understand what's happening and how this connects back to this story of David taking the census. In their own words, the purpose of the letter is this. We've offered the new administration a roadmap to restore our basic constitutional values. 
The report calls for a reframing of patriotism, which essentially means we need to further separate church and state, that we need to separate faith and God from our patriotic duties. And I picked out three examples from this letter written to the new president. Number one, Mr. President, we urge you to avoid phrases like God and country in public statements. Whatever you do, please do not connect the two. Please do not connect God and country anytime that you're addressing the public or releasing any type of public statements. Please, Mr. President. Number two, whenever possible, Mr. President, we urge you to reference and quote the original United States national motto, E Pluribus Unum, instead of the current motto, in God we trust. Because we don't trust in God, we trust in ourselves. Wipe it off all of our currency, erase it. And number three happens to be the most alarming in my opinion. Mr. President, we urge you to avoid the word faith in titles, programs, and initiatives and instead use a more inclusive word such as conscience because rather than centering faith as the de facto source of morality, it centers the moral conscience of the individual. <laughs> is it just me or is this a terrible idea? If you're a Christian, this is a terrible idea. It's essentially saying that we can rely more on our conscience, more on science, more on ourselves to figure out right from wrong. We don't need faith, we don't need God, we don't need Bible, we don't need scripture. Oh God, help us if this becomes the foundation of our country. Because what God's word says and what we believe is that unfortunately because of the fall of Adam and the fall of man, our nature is inherently sinful. It's not your fault, it's not my fault, that's just the way that it is. And therefore, we need God, we need faith. I never wanna trust my own conscience and my own flesh to decide what's right from wrong and to guide my steps. I wanna trust prayer, I wanna trust a response from the Holy Spirit to guide my way. So you may be asking yourself, why am I bringing this up and what's the connection? Well, I think there's a very real connection between what we just talked about with the sin of David and taking the census and what this letter is calling for. We talked about it. David was focused on a number. He was more focused on a number. It was less about God and more about a number. And this letter is saying less about God and more about us. And I'm not asking you to run for Congress, although if you're so inclined, go for it. Here's my ask. It's simple. Number one. Be informed, be aware, and have an opinion. Everybody else seems to have an opinion. We as Christians, as the church, as believers in Jesus, we need to have an opinion too. And number two, you don't need to go be a huge activist and do anything extreme with your godly opinions. I'm just asking you to step up and be a godly leader. That's it. What did I say earlier? It's just winning the one-on-one -on -one battles, just taking care of home field advantage. It's just leading in your home, leading in your workplace, leading amongst your group of friends. How, how, no matter how big or small your sphere of influence is, just lead by example. You don't even have to have a huge loud voice. 
It's just setting an example for the rest of the world. If everybody was here, I'd ask for a big amen. If you're at home, you can give me an amen in the chat if you're so inclined. We're going to keep going. All right, I got three things. And if you're taking notes, this would be the time. I got three quick things that you can write down and keep in your pocket as we head into 2021. Number one, leaders don't listen to the lies. These are three quick hits on how to be a godly leader this year. The leaders don't listen to the lies. I think far too often we fall victim to listening to lies from the enemy and it holds us back. And I got two lies that I'm thinking of specifically. I'm not called and I'm not qualified. Sound familiar? I know I struggle with that. I think we all struggle with I'm not called and I'm not qualified. I'm here to tell you today, you are called and you are qualified. I think we've driven home enough the fact that you're called. We're all called as believers. Let's focus on I'm not qualified. I got a fancy one-liner for you. You ready? You're qualified because he is qualified. Let me explain. If you believe in your heart and soul that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you are saved. Your spot in eternity is saved. It's reserved. But you know what else God tells us? He also tells us that he has now sent his Holy Spirit. God's Spirit now dwells inside of me and you as believers. That is an amazing thing. Think about that. God's Spirit lives inside of us. And therefore, you are qualified. You ever hear somebody tell you when you're having a hard time or maybe you've given this advice to somebody else, hey, don't worry, God will never give you more than you can handle. Well, that's partially true. The full truth is that we're gonna face hard times. We're gonna be stretched. And if we're only gonna rely on ourselves and our own strength, it might be too much for us to handle. But because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, because of God's spirit, we can endure and he will never give us too much to handle as long as we can draw our strength from him. You're qualified because he is qualified, amen? The second thing about not feeling qualified is for some reason we, we convince ourselves we have to wait until we've reached some stage of perfect holiness to start leading a godly life. By subscribing to that, we're never gonna become godly leaders we will never reach a stage of perfect holiness until we reach heaven. It's just the nature of the world that we live in. And so therefore, I'm telling you to have some urgency. Start today. Let your past be your past. That's why Jesus died on the cross, to give you a fresh start, to give you a chance to repent, to give you a chance to come clean so that he can forgive you and give you a clean slate. Don't wait. Have some urgency. Start today. Number two, a soft heart equals a strong leader. A soft heart equals a strong leader. Let's take a look back at this story here with David in the census. If you have your Bibles open, 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 10. It says, and David's heart condemned him after he had numbered the people, so... David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. But now I pray, O Lord, take away the iniquity of your servant, 
for I have done very foolishly. David didn't get sent to prison. He didn't get put in jail. He didn't get struck by lightning. No one yelled and hurt David's feelings. No one condemned David. His own heart convicted him. God chose David to lead Israel because it says that he chose a man after his own heart. You compare this to another biblical leader, Pharaoh. Pharaoh, we know, had a hard heart. And Egypt struggled under Pharaoh. He was full of pride and stubbornness. Though the call today is if you want to be a strong, godly leader, it requires us to soften our heart, to have a sensitive heart. Do you see that it was David's heart that led him back? It got him back on the right track. It doesn't mean that you're never going to make a bad choice. It just means that your soft heart will bring you in humility before God and he can get you back on the right track. Oh, I urge you today in your efforts to be a godly leader, maintain a soft and sensitive heart towards God. The third and final point is your success is built on your sacrifice. Your success is built on your sacrifice. I'm going to look at scripture, but before I do, let me usher it in. This is the story of David we're still looking at. And remember I said that David got a word from a prophet it was a word from God that said, here's what you need to go do to restore the kingdom. You need to go seek out the threshing floor. You need to build an altar. You need to sacrifice. You need to call on me and restore the kingdom. This verse is David now on the hunt. He's on the journey to go find the threshing floor. He finds the threshing floor. And there's a man named Ornan who happens to be working the threshing floor. And David says, Ornan, I'm here. I'm here to stop the plague. I need to buy the threshing floor from you. I need to build an altar. I need to sacrifice. I need to stop the plague. And Ornan says, my king, that's a great idea. It's all yours. You don't need to pay me for it. You can have it at no cost. Take the threshing floor. In fact, take my oxen. Take the wood over there to build your altar. It's all yours. And look at David's response. This is David on the comeback. This is King David. He says, no. It's a simple no. He says, no, but I will surely buy it for the full price. For I will not take what is yours for the Lord, nor offer burnt offerings with that which costs me nothing. David is back. David knows that he cannot take any shortcuts. Do you think it was tempting for David? I'm sure it was. He's on this journey and people are dying left and right and someone comes to him and says, hey, you don't even need to give me a dime. It's all yours. Just take it for free just to stop the plague. Here, just take it. And David says, I learned from temptation last time. I won't make that mistake again. David says, I know there's a cost to this and I will not take a shortcut. I will not sacrifice any more lives. I'm coming to the threshing floor because it has purpose. It has meaning. And I think to really understand what's happening here, we got to understand this biblical reference to the threshing floor. I don't know about you. I've never seen a threshing floor in my entire life. <laughs> so let's, let's make this a little relatable. I got a couple images I want to show you. What is threshing? Well, you can see here that threshing is the process within the harvest. Farmers would, would grow crops of wheat. They would have to cut down the wheat stalks and then they would have to really bring it to the threshing floor so they could access the grain. 
The grain was within the stalk. They had to separate the grain from the chaff. There's a process of separation, and you can see where we're going with this. There's a separation that occurs on the threshing floor. All these stalks are thrown on the threshing floor, and then there has to be something to get the grain, to extract it out. The grain is what's valuable. The grain is what's edible. And so there was multiple methods. They would take oxen and cattle and horses, and they would stomp on it. They'd stomp it to release the grain. This other picture, you see that there's men actually beating it. They're hammering it. They're slapping it. They're hitting it. If God's ever called you to the threshing floor and he's asked you to make some hard decisions and separate from something, you know this feeling. You know that it comes at a cost. You know that it doesn't always feel good. But we got to keep our eyes on the prize. Remember the point. There's success in here somewhere. But before we get to that, look at the last part of this process. It's called winnowing. And this is so cool. After the grain had been separated from the chaff, it still laid in a pile. You had a pile of what I would consider the waste or the junk, and then you had the good stuff. But you still had to make sure that you could get the good stuff out. And so the people would throw it up in the air, and the wind the wind would not affect the grain. The pure, valuable grain was heavy enough that it would not be impacted. It was strong. It would fall right down into a pile. But the waste, the junk, the chaff, it wasn't strong enough. It would blow away in the wind. If God calls you to the threshing floor, there's a purpose. There's a separation. God's breath, it wants to blow some of the junk out of your life. Let's make this more relatable. Two more analogies that are probably easier to understand. How about water? If you want some good, clean, pure drinking water, you typically don't drink it right out of the tap. You put it through a filter. You take your tap water, you put it through the filter, and that filter catches all the particles and the elements that may not taste as good. They may not be as healthy. It traps it in the filter, and then on the other side, you get clean, fresh, pure drinking water. I got one more. How about a 401k? Let, let, let's really go off the reservation. I'm going to compare the threshing floor to a 401k. You ready? A 401k is an investment strategy. A 401k is where the government and the IRS says, hey, there's an annual limit every year, just for round numbers. You can put $20,000 into your 401k, but you don't just set it and forget it. Within your 401k, there is a long list of different mutual funds, and you have to figure out where you're gonna take your money and which mutual funds you are going to invest in. They got all kinds of different options. Some have high risk, some have low risk. Some have short-term gain, some, some have long-term gain. And it's on you to figure out where you're gonna invest your money. Man, going to the threshing floor is about making the right investments. And sometimes, just sometimes, we gotta rebalance our portfolio. It can be complicated, it can be difficult, there can be a cost associated with it, but here's what I want you to understand to apply this back to being a godly leader. God has given all of us time, talent, and treasure. Time, talent, and treasure. And it's on us to figure out how we are going to invest those blessings from God. God says, I'm gonna give you those and I want you to invest in kingdom-backed mutual funds. Not worldly-backed mutual funds. 
And there's going to be times when God calls you to the threshing floor and says, hey, we got to rebalance your portfolio a little bit, son. We got to rebalance your portfolio a little bit, daughter. Don't overcomplicate this. Just simply ask yourself, or better yet, ask the Lord, are my investments, are the decisions and choices I'm making, are they pleasing to God? Are they God honoring? How about three quick examples? Are my relationships pleasing to God? If you've ever had to take a hard look at your inner circle and make decisions, if those are pleasing to God, you know how difficult that can be. But I firmly believe that you gotta take a look and you gotta understand, are my relationships, are they pulling me closer to God or pushing me further away? I don't believe there's any such thing as just standing still. I believe you're always either moving closer or further away. So God may call you at a certain point to say, I want you to take a second look at your relationships. That's a high cost situation. How about this one? Are my treasures, my finances being used to build God's kingdom? If you've ever had to take a hard look at your finances to decide if it's time and you are ready to actually tithe to God's church or to donate to those that are in need, well, there's an obvious cost to this one. Those are hard decisions, but there may come a time when God asks you to look at your finances, to look at how you're investing your treasure that he has blessed you with. How about this last one? It's a little bit of a curveball. Am I holding on to bitterness and offense or extending grace and forgiveness? All this talk about purity and going through these, a filter and making these hard decisions and separation, don't forget, this is all about the entirety of what God calls godly leaders to do. And at the top of the list is to love and to love in the purest form and forgive in the purest form and extend grace and mercy in its purest form, not by the world's standards. The world may tell you that, hey, what that person did is unforgivable. Because of what that person's done, they don't deserve your love. But that's not the kingdom example. That's not godly leadership. God holds us to his own standards. And you may be asking yourself, man, this doesn't sound so good. Where's the, where's the good ending? Where's the good part? Where's the success that you talked about earlier? I'm glad you asked. Let's take a look. This is the, this is the end of the show. We're going to end on a high note. I want you to turn your Bibles to 2 Chronicle chapter 3, verse 1 and 3. It says, Now Solomon, King David's son, began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to his father David at the place that David had prepared on the threshing floor. This is the foundation which Solomon laid for building the house of God. This is amazing. This is incredible. The temple, the house of God, was literally built on the threshing floor where David came and he sacrificed and he paid a cost and he let go of his pride and he restored the kingdom of Israel. It's literally the foundation of the house of God. This is a wow factor right here. I believe that God has big plans for you in 2021. He needs a firm, solid foundation to build on. 
I'm asking you, is God calling you to the threshing floor? Did he point things out to you in 2020 where he's trying to, ch- to, to, to shout at you and get your attention? I want you to get rid of some of your junk. I got big plans for you. I want to raise you up as a godly leader, but we got a little bit of work to do first. Would you join me in 2021? Let's put in the work. Let's respond. Let's give God a yes that you are ready. Let's have a sense of urgency. Let's have an opinion. Oh, 2021 has big things in store. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being present with us here today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for what you have shown us with King David. We thank you for the example that he has set. We ask you for strength as we head into 2021. We ask you to impart your wisdom so that we can see clearly where you want us to go. And Lord, I ask right now that you would give those the courage and the strength that have never said yes to you, that today would be the day where they accept you into their heart. And right now, I wanna give everybody an opportunity that is listening into this. If you have never had an opportunity to declare Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, All you need to do is in your heart and declare with your mouth that today is the day where you accept Jesus into your heart and you declare that he is your Lord and Savior. We want to know. We want to come alongside you. Would you put it in the chat? Would you send us an email? Would you let us know that today was the day that you said yes to Jesus so we can get you connected, so we can get you a Bible? It's the best decision that you will ever make in your entire life. And we would love to come alongside you. A Mission Church, I hope you have a great 2021. Be blessed. Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening and we hope to see you soon.